wanted to start this podcast to share hunting stories of my experiences and what I've done over the years. There's so much more that is involved in hunting than just pulling the trigger and killing an animal. We want to be inspirational, educational, but we also want to have a good time and teach you how to have a good time as well. Today, we got a really cool guest. His name is Dallas Bodily. I grew up in Utah hunting mule deer and elk, did a little guiding when I was younger, went into the old field, ended up transferring to the Northeast, and that's where I met Stevie. I thought I was going to show these Eastern boys a trick or two about how we hunted in the Rockies and tell Stevie how spot stock worked, and him and Teddy decided they was going to go ahead and let me show them how it worked, and they sat on a ridge and told me the deer was on the other side, so I walked up the other side and I turned around and glass, and Stevie's pointing to the left, Teddy's pointing to the right, pretty quick, and turn around, and they're both pointing opposite directions and I realized that them deer are running circles around me. That was my my learning experience of how they hunted in the Northeast. Long story short, when you tell your friends, I'll oh, hunt that stand anytime, Dallas will take you up on it. Welcome to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Now for your host, Stephen Robbins. All right, guys and gals, welcome to another episode of Hunting Day. Today, we got a really cool guest, um, gentleman that's joining me here in the studio his name is dallas bodily and dallas and i go way back um actually my first oil and gas uh job that i had dallas worked uh, at the same company and within the first few days of meeting each other we knew we were going to be pretty good friends because we had very similar interests and uh dallas that's been what over 12 years now it's been a lot probably closer to 14 years now so it's been a while, but uh, Dallas, go ahead and introduce yourself, buddy. I'm Dallas Bodley. We, me and Stevie have been friends for years. We hunted together on several occasions. We have plenty of great stories to share. <laughs> we, I don't know if there's enough time to share all of them. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. Hey, so before we, before we get into some funny stories, because I know we got some good ones, why don't you tell me where you grew up and what you grew up hunting and how you hunted them? Well, I started, I grew up in Utah hunting mule deer and elk for the most part. Uh, did a little guiding when I was younger. Uh, went into the old field, ended up transferring to the Northeast, and that's where I met Stevie. Uh, I was working for a company, and they come in the door, had a hunting show, and well, that was my foot in the door for hunting in the Northeast because I knew I, I, I knew nothing about it. <laughs> Our hunting techniques were a little different to start with, to begin. To be honest, I, I was used to spotting stock. They hunted from tree stands, so we can, if you want to get into that story, telling we absolutely I thought I was going to. I thought I was going to show these eastern boys a trick or two about how we hunted in the, the Rockies, and so I told Stevie how spotting stock worked, and him and Teddy decided they was going to go ahead and let me show them how it worked and they sat on a ridge and told me the deer was on the other side so i walked up the other side and i turned around and glassed and stevie's pointing to the left and walked up a little further and turned around and teddy's pointing to the right and pretty quick and turned around and they're both pointing opposite directions and i realized that them deer are running circles around me and they set me up to be in this thick brush to where where I couldn't hit nothing anyway, even if I seen it, because it was moving so fast right past me. So that that was my my learning experience of how they hunted in the Northeast. They they set me up to pretty good. Yeah, that was I remember that. That was a good time, and 
um, the company we work for, it got to a point where everybody started bringing their bows to work. And uh, I don't know if you remember the the house across from the shop. And uh, yeah. we could easily stretch out to about 100 yards there. And um, after seeing Dallas's stalking capabilities, um, I didn't have much faith in his archery capabilities. However, uh, Dallas quickly proved us all wrong because he's used to uh, hunting out there in the, the open country the out, out west. And he was consistently dropping arrows in at 100 yards. And we're like, okay, this guy does he, he's i think he knows what he's talking about here and uh i actually it was probably what mid-october um yeah. i had found scouted out a new area on some public land that we um found out about and uh me ted dallas and another guy named john and uh we uh we all kind of went our own ways and found our own spots and i set up a tree stand for video and and because uh, me and April still had MVP Outdoors on the Pursuit Channel at this time. And uh, so long story short, when you tell your friends, oh, hunt that stand anytime, um, Dallas will take you up on it. <laughs> and yeah. uh, <laughs> me and April. The best, the best part about that whole deal was you had hunted it for a week straight. And then you said, well, there's a couple of good bucks coming into the stand. If you want to go sit in it, you can shoot one. Cause I'd never shot a whitetail. So he was going to be generous enough to let me sit in it. And, well, <laughs> yeah. From there it got a little interesting. Yeah. So, uh, not probably my proudest moment as a friend and a hunter, but, um, I'm telling you, me and Brody talked about this hunting can make you crazy at times. And, uh, we, uh, me and April were hunting in West Virginia on the evening I got the phone call. And normally you don't call your friends, you know, 20 minutes before dark during hunt season because, you know, they're in a tree stand. And I get, I get a phone call from John and I'm like, I'm not answering this. I'm in the blind. And then I get a text. Dallas smoked a 10 pointer out of your stand. And I was like, are you kidding me? We sat there in that blind all daggone day and didn't see a deer. And I just, I remember replying, well, tell him to take it down with him. <laughs> and like I said, not my proudest moment. It wasn't so that, more so that you were mad that I shot that buck. It was more so that you had spent so much time planning and prepping. And you'd sat there for the whole week before that and then let me go over there because there were some smaller bucks coming in. And he said, you can go sit in my stand. He said, there's been some bucks coming in here. He said, just go sit over there and you'll be able to shoot one of them. So I, it's smart ass that I am I'm sitting in the stand and sending him pictures. It's a beautiful view from up here. Yeah. Nice. This is a perfect place for a stand. And then about 30 minutes later, he got the text big buck down. And yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there was pretty much, there was a delay in the text messages for about 15 minutes where, I never got any kind of response, and then the next one was just go ahead and take my stand down and bring it with you. <laughs> so, oh, like I said, not my proudest moment, but you actually killed a really nice ten pointer, and to, you're the second person. Well, actually, you're the first person, but I've I've have now successfully helped two people kill ten pointers on their first deer. Yours was the first, and Ava's was the second, and. uh but uh yeah no it was it was a really good buck especially a good bow buck up there in the state of pennsylvania and uh we actually waited to recover it the next evening or the next morning 
because yeah. um, you made a really good shot on it, but then he ran downhill and we were, you know, the blood trail wasn't the greatest, but it was because he was running so fast and downhill, the the blood wasn't, you know, just laid out there. So the next morning we, we literally walked to the last place you saw him and he was about 10 yards inside the wood line and there he was. Yeah. It was a nice, real nice 10 pointer. And uh, actually you got that one mounted, didn't you? Yeah, he's still hanging on the wall right here at the house. That's awesome. Something you forget every time you come over. Nope, I see him, <laughs> and I, I think back at uh, at that time. That was a good time, though, and uh, it was great. Then that same year, we actually was able to introduce Nikki into big game hunting. I know she had done some; she'd killed some animals uh, back home, right? And uh, but she never hunted big game. And uh, we went to had a friend that um, owned uh whispering hollers which was a high fence uh game preserve there in pennsylvania and uh sean called me and said they were doing some cwd testing for the state and they needed some does shot off the property so that they could conduct this survey and so anybody that needs animals removed they know they can call me and i, I will gladly oblige and uh so we were able to i believe it was me and April, Dallas and Nikki, and I believe Ted tagged along. Yeah, Ted did tag yeah. along because he was kind of like the odd man out. And uh, he uh, he ran camera for us, and Nikki was able to uh, successfully harvest a really beautiful white fallow deer on that hunt. And yeah. the first deer I've ever seen moonwalk after it got shot. Stood up on its hind legs, and or she did, stood up on her hind legs and uh, moonwalked. And if I remember... That, that was experience with adrenaline i think as far as hunting is uh it's got worse over the years <laughs> like, but, uh, yeah she, she starts breathing real deep and making noises when she gets adrenaline going so it, it, it's just a it's a whole different aspect when if you ever see it on camera it, it's just i don't i don't even know I do know how to explain it, but I don't know if it's politically correct. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was actually, that whole trip in itself was a really fun trip because you killed a really nice red stag while we were there. And uh, that's also, uh, that's the, if you remember, April killed a, I believe it was a spotted fallow deer. And I was yeah. running the camera and Ted was running the backup camera. And uh, we were trying to do a lot of behind-the-scenes filming at that time. And I think you know where this story is going. And, uh, yeah. But we we had stocked up on uh, two fallow does, and April successfully shoots hers, and it falls down. And we're like, well, that other one's standing right there. And it was a chocolate-colored one, brown. And uh, I said, well, all right, well, here, switch me spots. Give me the gun, and you start recording. Well, I never turn. I never hit the record button to turn it off, so it was still recording. Well, April doesn't pay attention to that. She gets up and hits record, so she stops recording, and I shoot, and my deer falls over, like runs like thirty yards, falls over, and I turn back around, and I I'm giving her a thumbs up, and I look, and there's no red light flashing, and I'm like, you're not recording, and she. So we have this five minute just like. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. She don't know what she's doing. You know, we're trying to make it, you know, a TV show. All the while, Ted's running his camera. We forget about him even being there. And some made some of the best behind the scenes uh, 
outtakes that could never go on national television. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, he, he caught the whole thing. <laughs> Yep. Oh, yeah. So that's uh, we've we've had some really good times, and then uh, so you killed that red stag uh, shortly after that, and then uh, Ted, we end up getting Ted on a really nice doe as well, and I mean that whole trip was a really fun trip because it was all about one we were there for on a mission, right? We were trying to help them out with their survey, and but ultimately it was a really good opportunity for us to, to hunt together and to also introduce Nikki into big game hunting. And, oh man, she's, uh, she's gone crazy since then. She's killed a lot of really nice whitetail, a lot of really nice free ranging whitetail, um, some really big axis deer. Uh, she actually beat me to a really nice axis deer down there. Uh, I, I would fly in and work. And then on my days off, I would try to run in and hunt and was the same outfitter and then on her days off she was going and hunting and we both had this monster this trophy axis that we wanted and uh she beat me to him <laughs> but yeah, uh, he, he was, was definitely the easiest buck to kill we was there four times probably 10 days total and you was there probably pretty close to the same amount of time yeah before he finally got shot so he was definitely a, it wasn't Hunting on high fence isn't always what you think it is. Absolutely it's, not. It was definitely a lot of work to get down. Yeah, we put in a lot of time on him, and uh, between I think collectively we were right at twenty days between both of us hunting before she actually killed him. And yeah. uh, I'm telling you, I, that's where I actually Tim had touched on this last week. And uh, like high fence hunting's not as easy as people think, and. You know, you there. We've we've talked about this too in the past, but there's a I don't know. There's just this. People f- have a certain feeling towards that, and ultimately we shouldn't. We should be happy that it is available to us because one day that may be all that's available to us for multiple reasons. But um, not to not to sidetrack on a political standpoint, but we are very fortunate and blessed to be able to hunt free ranging animals as well as high fenced animals. And if you look at it any differently, then that's on you. That's not necessarily um, anything that I want to change per se, but at the same time, like have an open mind. And if it's not affecting you, then you probably shouldn't care anyway. But speaking of high fences, I know that you recently purchased a ranch in West Texas and I would love to uh, touch more on that, and we will next week. But I got a couple other things I want to talk to you about, and that is your nephew, Jace. And I know Dwayne's not going to care that we talk about this, him or Casey. And uh, Dwayne is your brother-in-law. Casey's your sister-in-law. Casey and Nikki are, are sisters. And uh, this year, Jace had a pretty awesome season, didn't he? he did we we put him on about a 134 inch white tail buck and that's pretty much pretty good for a kid's first deer right he just lucked out and was in the right spot at the right time that's for sure so not only did he kill his first one but his mom killed her first one and they was almost identical so i don't know how that ended up working that way but they're both perfect tens in the 100 mid 130 inch range 
I mean, I, I couldn't have planned that any better for the two of them. I've never even killed one close to that on that place. And they just, the odds worked great for them. Yeah. They, they were the same day, right? Yeah. Back to back. Yep. That's awesome. So, so Jace is the same age as Ava and he hunts with the 350 legend as well. And, uh, I remember the, the crazy thing about this whole story is obviously we're, we're really close friends, but I'm also close friends with Dwayne and Dwayne was working on a job site with me. And, uh, when all this went down and, uh, so me and him went to dinner afterwards and we're talking and I'm like, Hey, you know, how did, how did, how is Jace feeling about all this? And he was, you know, I could tell Dwayne was excited for him, but also wanted to be there. But he was glad that you and Nikki were there with him as well as Casey. And then to find out at dinner that Casey took one just as big and that being her first deer. And I'm like, and I looked at Dwayne, right? Because he told me that Casey never let him mount any of his whitetails. And yeah. I said, well, I know there's two that's going to be mounted. And uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I told him, I said, that's all you had to do. You just had to let her get one that could be mounted. And now you got, you're, you're, you're in all your, any of them you want mounted after this, you're in. Yeah. So Jace had one of them. It was one of the best and worst experience type things. He shot his first deer, but he made a not so great shot. They spent some time looking for it. And I got to give credit to these guys that have dogs because we brought in a dog and it didn't take them but 45 minutes with that dog to find it. And they was able to bay it, put it down and uh, make a humane kill on it. So, I mean, I, my opinion of these guys with good blood dogs was completely different up until that point. But man, if you need them, use them. I think they're, they're a great aspect in our hunting industry. They're, they do a great thing for every, for all of it. I mean, it's, something that we should all use a lot more than we probably do yeah yeah and i tell you what they work with those dogs um i mean to a point where uh, it's it's phenomenal um and i was always under the impression that they tracked or trailed blood but from what i understand they actually don't they actually pick up on that specific deer scent through a gland in his hoof is that correct yeah, they pick up on the gland in their hooves. From, I mean, they basically start out with the blood, and that gets them like to where they need to be to pick up the scent. And once they pick up that scent, they'll just follow that trail. Of, for the most part, it comes from the glands in their legs, but they can pick up the scent of the blood and kind of attribute it to that deer. Okay. Where it's headed, kind of. Um, I mean, I'm not a real big uh for for or like professional on this or nothing but it's yeah one of them well we actually had a couple of times and it i've been very impressed with the way these dogs work the way they train uh the whole aspect of it just baffles me on how well they work to do that and complete the task that they're working for so yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, this is going to lead into a, a future podcast now because I'm going to have to get a, a, a tracking dog. And I, actually, we probably wouldn't have the dog on the podcast, but the handler. Um, I, I know a couple different groups on uh, Facebook. I'll probably reach out to someone. Or if any of our listeners um, have a tracking dog, please reach out to us and uh, let us know because we'd love to have you on the show here and uh, 
give us um, some insight on how your dogs work. Well, Dallas, we appreciate you being on, and we've covered with some really good information, um, anywhere from you getting your first whitetail all the way up to tracking dogs. Well, I appreciate you having me on. If someone wanted to reach out to you on social media, what would be the best platform? Or give me all your platforms that you're on as well as your handle. Pretty much just on Facebook. We haven't really needed to advertise yet because we're still pretty small. We're still kind of in the growing process. But uh, Whiskey Willow Ranch on Facebook. I think we're Whiskey Willow One on Instagram. So Whiskey Willow Ranch on Facebook and Whiskey Willow One on Instagram. With me. Whiskey with an E. So with <laughs> Whiskey Willow Ranch on Facebook, and that's Whiskey with an E. So to all of our listeners, that is Whiskey with an E. But uh, we definitely appreciate you being on. We had a really good time, and I uh, look forward to having you back here next week. Appreciate you having me. Uh, be glad to be back. Absolutely. And to all of our listeners, we thank you for your support, and uh, keep hunting and doing what God calls you to do. Thank you for listening to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. If you'd like to follow, you can find Stephen on Instagram at Stephen Hunt Day and Facebook at Stephen Robbins HD. If you'd like to reach Stephen, you can email him at stephen.huntingday at gmail.com.